0: The Real Men Connect podcast is blessed to have the Basic Solutions Group as one of our ministry partners. The Basic Solutions Group is one of the leading app creators for ministries worldwide. So whether you want to increase your ministry's reach, maximize your impact, or multiply your message, then check out the Basic Solutions Group at basicsolutionsgroup.com. And to see what they can do for you, just go to your app store and download the Real Men Connect app for free on any iPhone, Android, mobile device, or tablet. Just go to your app store and type in the word Real Men Connect. That's one word, no spaces.
1: Welcome to Real Men Connect. Are you ready to be the extraordinary man, husband, father, and leader God called and created you to be? Then get ready to receive wisdom and guidance from some of the country's most respected men of faith as you learn everything you need to know to go from good man to great man God's way. No judgment, no shame, just real men with real challenges seeking real change. All for God's glory.
0: Hello, mighty men of God, and welcome to the Real Men Connect podcast, where we help good men become great men God's way. I'm your host, Dr. Joe Martin, and every week we interview some of the nation's most respected and accomplished men of faith to find out what it really takes to become the kind of husband, father, and spiritual leader God called and created us to be. Each interview session is packed with practical, proven biblical principles you can immediately apply in your relationships, in your on your job and in your community. Now, today we have with us not a male, but a female and a friend of mine, Sanyika Calloway, who is a life coach and certified yoga instructor who teaches yoga for everybody, for every type of body. Now, she's a former entrepreneur, media spokesperson, business marketing and TV publicity consultant and the author of three books. Now, to say that Sanyika is a renaissance woman would be an understatement. Sanyika is not only the third woman to ever appear on the Real Men Connect podcast, but check this out, guys. She's the first single woman to make an appearance. Now, I'm hoping this isn't her last, but Sanyika isn't here to discuss yoga with us or how to get more publicity for your business. Now, I've known Sanyika now for almost and guess what? About 15 years, Sanyika. And it's, and you're like a sister to me. And she's like a sister. She's been there through some of the worst times in my life. And I've been there through some of hers. And I asked Sanika to be on the show today to talk to us about one of those tough times. Maybe the toughest for her. I don't know. She'll let us know that. And it's about her divorce after an 18 year marriage that was devastated by her husband's addiction to pornography. Now, obviously, this topic is close to home for me because pornography was one of the callous that ended my 16-year marriage as well. And Sonja knows that. So this should be an interesting discussion as a former perpetrator questions a former victim. Now, I don't know how often that happens on the show, but this is must-see or should I say must-listen to radio. So I'm so glad you agreed to the interview. So with that being said, I'd like to introduce you to my personal friend, sister in Christ, and the only one I know who can out-talk me. The incomparable five foot nine single bold black and beautiful sold out woman of God, Sanyika Calloway. Welcome to the podcast, Sanyika.
2: Oh, wow! Thank you.
0: How, how is that for an introduction, Sanyika?
2: That, I'm not sure if I could top that. Let's see if I can live up to it. All right. Well, you know what, Joe? You have a tall personality. How about this? Because honestly, before we actually met in person, I really did think you were taller than you actually are. So, how about this? You, now, you know, do you, do you? Realize, I hear that
0: all the time, Sanyika, that, boy, you sound so much bigger. <laughs> <You're> like, oh. <laughs> when they hear me recording, I said, that's right. I said, that's my presence that you're, you're hearing, that, that you're Indeed.
2: That is the presence <laughs> of God that shines through you,
0: you know. Now, Sanyika, I am so excited about you being on the show, not only because you're one of the few females we've brought on the show, and hopefully you'll be returning not just this time, but multiple times in the future. Because as a single woman, you have a great perspective that a lot of times we don't get to here as men and so I'm excited not only to have you on for that but as well as to talk about this particular topic um, I don't know too many women who would feel comfortable um, having had a marriage as long as yours and having to deal with the devastation of pornography and how that made an impact on it to be comfortable enough to come on air to kind of kind of air their laundry and some of their heart and their emotions of what was wrapped around it but I do believe, that this show is going to bless so many men because we do miss it. And I'm including present company included. We miss the heart of our wives. So again, thank you. Thank you so much. Not only because you're my friend, but that you are willing to do this for all of us.
2: Yeah. Well, to God be the glory for rewriting my story. You know, I mean, the challenge and is that I think that when we're such, we're so inundated with appearances and what we see on social media and what we see, um, that we don't believe that someone else could be dealing with or struggling with the same things that we're struggling with behind closed doors. And so I am um, just determined to not only be the light through which um, God shines, but also just be like, this is life in all of its beautiful mess. You know, it is the contradiction. It's the ebb and the flow. It's the good and the bad. And it's the hurt and the, um, and the healing. And so all of it is necessary um, and all of it is is part of the journey. And if there is someone who can be helped and supported and who can be healed through the sharing of, of my story, then amen.
0: You know, and so I'm thinking, I don't even know what some of the answers are going to be to some of the questions I'm going to ask you today. But, um, Neither I do th- I. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm wondering that would this, would God be bold enough, a man who's listening to this, gone th- who's going through this, would he be bold enough to allow his wife to listen to this? Um, and it's not that he has to, but I wonder um, if this is something that could open up the lines of communication. But We'll find out where the Holy Spirit is leading us and how that goes. Um, I always have a, a saying, I joke a lot, uh, around a lot saying that I can't wait to see what God did yesterday. And so we're going to see where, where this interview goes, but... Let me ask you this: I always ask um, men when they come on our show, I ask every guest this is to give us their favorite Bible verse when they come on. And Sonny, as long as I've known you, you know, I can't wait to hear what yours is. What is your anchor verse that is your go to verse? I know you got a lot of them. But what's your favorite Bible verse that gives you inspiration from the word of God and why?
2: Well, I love that you qualified it after saying favorite, but then going back to saying anchored, because I would not necessarily say, quote unquote, favorite. Um, God gave this verse to me, actually, when I did what i call my east coast exodus leaving the east coast coming to the west coast and it is trust in the lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding in all of your ways acknowledge the lord and he will make your pathway straight. my grandmother used to always say you ain't running nothing but your mouth and your shoes and i hated when she said that because you know it was basically like you're not grown and you're not running anything and so god finally had to get me to this place to recognize that um, while I've gifted you with some amazing abilities and qualities, um, you're really not running the show. You're not the captain of your own ship. You bought into that lie and that belief for a long time. I'm the architect. You know, I'm a huge sci-fi fan. So like, right, I'm like this whole, you know, Neo in the matrix, right? It's like, I am the architect. I'm the designer of your life. I have a divine design for you. And when you lean on your own understanding and you don't trust in me, then I have to dismantle the thing that you made. You know, how many Ishmaels had I birthed? Because I just knew <laughs> that this was, you know, God kind of gave me an idea. I like to say, God gives me a crumb and I make a cake. And he's like, oh, pumpkin, I didn't tell you to make a cake. We don't have to, dismantle. <laughs> so we have to dismantle that and start all over again. So this leaning not on your own understanding, huge for me. So I don't know if I would say favorite, but anchor for sure. That coming back to this place of, yes, in my intellect, this makes sense. But a, a, a piggyback verse to that is, you know, there's a, there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. And so because I have run ahead of God in many areas and in many times in my life, um, him bringing me back to that anchor, of don't lean on your own understanding. Yes, I grant you wisdom and I've given you intellect and I want you to process information. Um, but ultimately, I want you to come to me for the final say. Don't lean on just your own understanding. Trust in me, because a lot of times the things I tell you to do aren't going to make sense in the natural, but they absolutely make sense in the divine design.
0: Amen. Amen. You know, and so you could um, I, I love um, your grandmother's wisdom. And, and you know, it's so funny. We've known each other for so long. And I don't think there's a time that I've ever taught you that you didn't have me rolling. You know, you and I don't know if that's just your personality, but obviously that your life story is is very tremendous. I mean, because as you were you know, sharing about your exodus from the East Coast, to West Coast, we're not going to even get into that. But that in itself is an amazing story, which that's why you have to be on the show multiple times so we can get back to that, because as they can hear and they can see. And I didn't lie in the introduction. You can out talk me. <laughs> all right, so so I want to get to getting, getting these questions asked for that man out there. who said, Joe, I'm looking for answers. Sanyika is great, but I got a wife here <laughs> who I don't understand at all from a woman's perspective. And so I'm going to ask you to share your story, but we're going to focus on one part of your story because you have a tremendous testimony. I mean, from growing up to um, your relationship with your siblings and, but we're going to focus strictly on that season that was very devastating for you when you um, discovered your, your husband's, ex-husband's use of porn and how that started to unravel your marriage. So if you could um, share with us your story and how it relates to this particular topic.
2: Uh, okay. So I um, got married at 23 years old, met my ex-husband when I was 22, um, and just kind of if you if there was a list and I could have checked every box off the list, um, he he fit that, and uh, we were going to be the power couple. We were kind of going to do a lot of firsts in our family: first to graduate from college, first to buy our own home, first to you know do certain things, reach certain mile markers. And so that ambition that we both had was very much an attracting force, um, very much a us against the world and we're going to make, we're going to make this happen. And so um, I think a lot of the things that I saw and thought I wanted and needed and looked for in a man were, you know, a lot of superficial, um, not necessarily all of the character things that ultimately God desires for us to know and look for. Um, And not that he was uh, a person with, with no character, but when it came to this area, we did not share the same definition of fidelity. I'm a ride or die chick, right? I have like I am loyal I am very flamboyant and outgoing in a lot of ways. I love variety. I, you know, I love being in different cities and eating at different restaurants and trying different things. But when it comes to certain things, I am super like vanilla impractical. You know, I've got a nice group of small group of friends. I have lots of followers and people on social media and lots of people who know me through my public part of me. But in terms of my small knit group of friends and people that I have, the people that I'm loyal to and the things I like to do, there's some very basic things when it comes to that. And so I think that um, what I didn't realize was that not everyone shares the same belief and especially my ex-husband didn't share the same belief of fidelity as it related to um, our relationship and our marriage. And I was not following Jesus when we got married. I, um, you know, we'll talk about this story if I get to come back, but, you know, I grew up as a holy roller. So when I got grown enough to tell my mama I wasn't going to church when I was 17, I didn't. And so probably from the time I was 17 to 27, I really walked away from what I thought her version of God and Jesus was, if that's what God and Jesus is, I don't want to be part of hypocritic Christians. And so when I met and married my husband, it was kind of in that phase of my life where I'm going to do life on my terms. And I'm I'm already I know exactly what I want and what I need.
0: Now, I can't begin to tell you, how what I've heard wives say, including my own ex-wife, how they felt when they discovered us looking at porn Um, I've heard feelings from being like him being hit by a Mack truck to being stabbed in the heart. Um, obviously you said that when you were dating and, and I guess in full disclosure, I must let the audience know that, um, I know your ex-husband and I've conversated with your ex-husband. So I don't want the men out there to think, okay, Joe, you're just getting her side of the story, but you don't understand him. And so I didn't know him as close as you, but I was also, but I didn't know him. And so I want the men to know that as as I'm asking you questions about this, um, I have a better picture than the average couple, if that makes sense. And so, but like I said, I've heard that that range of emotion that women feel from being hit by a Mack truck to being stabbed in the heart. When did you first notice um, that your ex-husband's use of porn Um was a problem and what was your initial reaction because you said that from 17 to 27 That your life was kind of distant from christ You didn't you kind of put christ on the back shelf And so I want to know does this start doing when as soon as you started when you guys got married at such a young age Or did it develop later on in the marriage? Could you kind of help us get a better picture of that?
2: Yeah, I can and you know what I my story might be a little different and come across a little bit differently because I um that that feeling of stabbed in the heart and being hit by a Mack truck really came on what I call my day of discovery that happened in 2014. I had known there were ebbs and flows and there were things in the relationship that kind of gave me signs. But um, one of the things that I have to take ownership for is um, ambition can be blinding. And when you feel as a wife or as a husband or anyone who's part of a relationship, when you feel like you're not getting your needs met, you become blinded to the other person. Because all you can do is think about how you're being wronged and how you're not being taken care of. So let me explain that a little bit more. Um, my first, when I knew that my ex-husband um, was engaged in a watching um, pornography, actually happened on our very first uh, official vacation together after we had gotten married, we had gone out of the country, and this was the time of VHS tapes. And we got, um, we got to our hotel room, it was a long flight, we were both tired, and you know, I was gonna unpack both of our bags, put everything in the drawers, put all the luggage away, and just now we are officially on vacation. And um, he was in the shower, and so I did that. I unpacked bags and found which drawers everything was gonna go in, and found that he had brought these videos um, with them. I'm not sure three or four or five or six, something like that. And, um, my initial, I kind of had like this, um, what I call a Scooby-Doo moment. It was like, Rum, <laughs> Rum. like, okay, what's that about? Like, I, you know, and because I really wasn't walking with I was like, you know, like maybe we'll like watch it together. It, that didn't do anything for me, but like, you know, maybe we'll watch it together.
0: Now, Sonia, um, let me interrupt you just for a second. How, now, how many years are you into your new marriage at this time?
2: Oh, we're in year one. Okay. Year this, one.
0: Okay, keep going. That's for, so you're in the yeah. first year of the marriage. Go ahead.
2: We're in yeah, we're in year one. This is our first vacation together. You know, we didn't officially go on Honey Honeymoon until like about six months into the marriage when we went away. So yeah. And throughout the marriage, um, you know, there were there were signs and there were um magazines or or videos or then videos turned to DVDs, kind of thing. But nothing that was like glaring or large, right? Nothing that was like, okay, you know, that's not a big deal. Unfortunately, what became um, our lifestyle really allowed a lot of it to be masked as a, you know, we became full-time entrepreneurs. And for 12 years of our marriage, we were full-time entrepreneurs. And I mean, you know, you've been, um, doing this grind for a long time as an entrepreneur, you know, you kill what you eat. You are you you really are hard charging. We did not having children uh, purposely, and so our ba- our business was our baby, and it took a lot of time. So a lot of time, our pillow talk was, "Honey, did you upload that video? Did you send that invoice to this?" You know, it, our our business was very all consuming, and I traveled a lot, um, and. A lot of the roles that got reversed, I didn't necessarily understand um, at the beginning the price that the way we set up our business and the way our structure was, our joke within our marriage was that I was the face of the franchise. Um, it, not only did it fit my personality and fit the business that we had, um, but it also changed the dynamics of the way that we interacted as a couple in our marriage as well. Um, and. What used to be, I, because I'm a strong personality, um, I need someone who is equally strong, who can not with any disrespect, or not with you know, woman, I'm going to tell you what to do, but who definitely doesn't, who doesn't allow me to run with shot, and doesn't allow certain parts and aspects of who I am to become disproportionate to where they need to be in relation to the context of our relationship. So. Because I was the majority owner of the business, because I was the face of the franchise, a lot of the decisions stopped and fell with me. Um, And it changed the dynamic in that I feel, unfortunately, because money was on the line and our livelihood was on the line and our team and people we had to pay and things we had to do were on the line, some things that probably I should have been checked on and I should have been um, called to the carpet on. My ex-husband didn't address those because that could, that ripple effect could have affected how business was done. And so that caused a deep resentment for me. So the, the, the more I, I gained a business manager and lost a husband, the more I was in my feelings and the more I created some situations in which there was isolation. Um, so I really was not thinking, okay, we're not having sex. So where is he getting it from? Because I was really thinking, I'm not getting my needs met. And so you know, my drug of choice, if you will, was money. It was shopping. It was spending. It was going on vacation. It was like, I'm going to do me. I'm going to have a life. It didn't include any type of um, extramarital relationship. But it was very much like, this is what is feeding that void that I'm not getting met. And I truly did not, um, because of my selfishness, didn't think, how is this landing on my, my partner? So my day of discovery um, came after the business fell apart, the businesses fell apart, bankruptcy was filed, foreclosure was imminent. And I sat in my office. We used to have another joke. We had lots of jokes, inside jokes, like many marriages do, right? Um, But our house, literally, I used to say our house was the office that we lived in. Um, Because other than the master bedroom, you know, the living room we had, two captain's chairs, you know, it's like a his and her kind of chair and a huge, large screen television that, you know, and that was kind of the screening room. The basement was the studio and one guest bedroom was my office and one guest bedroom was his. And so our home was pretty much our our office. And um, I'm sitting in my office this one day and I'm boxing with God. Hot tears are running down my face. And I'm like, there's nothing left. And excuse my language. I was like, "There's nothing left of this crappy ass marriage." And the Holy Spirit said, "Do you want to know the rest?" And all I could think was, "I better go pee." So I got <laughs> up, to the bathroom, you know, did, washed my face. And as I'm walking out of the bathroom, the the, the adjustment, the way the house was set up, as I'm walking out of the the, the, the bathroom. I look over to the to the right and my ex-husband's office was there and the door was wide enough so I could see inside and I saw a laptop, a netbook, an iPad, and a phone. My ex-husband was barely ever not at home because we worked from home and I was on a lot of the house more than he was. And I it just caught the corner of my eye and I stopped and stood in the doorway and then I just walked in. Um and because A lot of what we did was technology-based. I kind of knew enough to be dangerous. And I sat down at the computer and for the next four hours, time stopped. And I got to see how far the rabbit hole had gone. And I got to see a side of my ex-husband. I got to see a level of um, addiction and where and how um, pornography had permeated his life. I just assumed we were in a sexless marriage because our business was, you know, this bohemian that had taken over. Um, and we were just too tired and too frustrated and too caught up to have our physical needs even met or even want to have them met. So um, I really was taken aback. And so for four hours, I was um, okay. Oh my God, this is. Like, really, really real. And this is um, something that I have to, I cannot ignore. I cannot pretend that um, because I'm not getting what I think I want from the relationship or the marriage, I'm completely ignoring where or what is going on in my husband's, or at that time, he was my husband, in my husband's world and life.
0: Now, Sonic, I tell you, um, one of the things that jumps out uh, of your story to me. And because I've gone through this process, I've dealt with a lot of people who've gone through this process as well, which I think says a lot. I know it's, it's hard to find that silver lining in the cloud when you're going through that storm. But the fact that you are able to take responsibility um, for your personal role um, in this, because it, that what seem, doesn't seem fair about this. It's, quote, our problem, this man's problem, our problem, and we're dragging you into it. But at the same time, that man, there's some responsibility that needs to be shared. And you were able, and I guess by the grace of God, to say, okay, what have I done to contribute to this? And what am I not seeing or what am I missing? And you said it better than I could summarize it, um, of saying you're so focused on your own personal needs that you, um, you didn't see the needs of the marriage in itself. But at the same time, um, I'm impressed with your level of maturity to say, okay, Yes, I realize that I'm part of the problem, but he has a problem. You know what I'm saying? And to me, a lot of it takes, I'm telling you, just based on experience that I have and working with, with men and working with um, women who have dealt with this kind of stuff, it takes them a long time to get to that part. The only thing they can see is he has a problem, but they don't see their contribution to the problem. So... um I don't know if that helps the men out there who are listening to this, but it really could help the women who are listening this so We know we have some women listeners out there, um, because yeah. And here's
2: what I would say to that. Go ahead. I would say that um, I, you know, my church was huge. You know, at, during our marriage, I came back to Christ and really um, got plugged into a church in New Jersey where we were living at the time, and my church was huge in being a um, just being a safe place. For me, I never had a history of addiction I, in in my in my life, you know, in, in my family. So I didn't quite know what to do and where to go. And there are definitely resources out there that I would strongly encourage you to plug in. The Anons are are, are amazing places to plug into. But one of the things, you know, my church could not and and you know talk. We talk about divorce and and what it means and, and, and how God sees divorce. And definitely, I had a biblical out. Clearly, my my ex husband was un- unfaithful multiple times um, now here's the interesting thing because often people um, when pornography is part of their world view don't see that as adultery don't see that as cheating for me that I, I definitely did you are you're in your mind you are in your body receiving in the energy of and the, the, the sexual experience with someone other than your wife to me that is cheating that's adultery um, so that's an interesting, and we'll talk about that, I guess a little bit later in the conversation about his view of fidelity, because when I challenged him on that and said, we don't share the same view of fidelity. He's like, I, you know I never cheated on you. And it was just like, um, you know, while your penis was not in the vagina of another person, in your mind, <laughs> you were all over the place, and there was a whole lot of other stuff going on. So for me, that is that is un- being unfaithful. Going back to what you asked me as it relates to my responsibility what I, um, my church asked me, you know, how can we help? And of course, you know, helping to pay for the divorce was not an option. But they were like, you know, we have, we have some therapists, we have some counselors that um, that are part of kind of our, our network of support. And we'd love, you know, if that's something that you're open to, to be able to do that. And I remember um, accepting that offer. And the first time I went into the therapist's office, she asks me, uh, she was an older woman, just an amazing wise woman, had been counseling for over 40 years. And she says, why are you here? And I said, because what I get is as angry and as frustrated and as hurt as I am right now, what I get is that I don't get to be part of an 18-year anything and not have some responsibility. And while I could have had a lot of people who had stakes, <laughs> you know, and pitchforks on my front yard, um, ready to you know call my husband out of the house and burn him at the stakes is like what was my responsibility? And between coupled with that and the introduction to the anons that I got, um I understood I began to learn about and understand the the amends and what that what that meant. And so part of my process of healing and part of was, okay, where do I need to make amends? I cannot. Um, there's nothing, honestly, that would justify his behavior. That's, but that's him, and he has to deal with that. Um, there, is a lot, there are a lot of reasons, but there's no excuse, right? But what, what are my reasons? Because, see, sometimes we like to turn our reasons into excuses. There are a lot of reasons for why we do this or don't do that. But at some point, we have to go, okay, these are the reasons, but that's still no excuse. If God tells us this— if he says, these are the commandments and we walk there in them, then there are a lot of reasons why not committing adultery or not lying or not stealing or not committing murder. We could have a lot of reasons, but there's really no excuse to disobey, to not do what God has called us to do. So what were my what were my reasons that I were allowing to be excuses and vice versa? And it became clear to me through my therapy process, through my Anon's meetings, that there there was a switch in responsibilities in roles in the way that we saw each other and the way that we um, interacted in our lives that was dictated by our business, but we didn't have the tools. We didn't have the awareness, the know-how to translate that and make a clean separation between this is our business life. This is our entrepreneurial life and this is our marriage. And so Somewhere along the lines, unbeknownst to us, you know, I lost a husband and gained a manager um, and he lost a wife and gained a um, and sometimes a diva, sometimes a, but sometimes son,
0: fr- you could really,
2: <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, the, the face of the franchise, yeah. you, you know, right. And and so because that was so synonymous with our livelihood, so synonymous with who we were and what our ambitions were, it took center stage literally and figuratively. Um, and, and just became larger than, than everything else.
0: You know, so you I, I tell you, you, I've watched you go through this process. So I, I guess I have more inside information than the person out there who's listening to this. And I know there's a times when, you know, you reached out and we've talked and, and I, I wasn't, I didn't say all the things you wanted to hear when you were going through this process, because I was fighting for you and your marriage and at the same time, I was hearing what you were going through, but your level of maturity through it, you know, it, it was, it's, it's just more advanced than I'm used to seeing women. And I know there's a lot of men out there whose wives are not at that point where they can feel the feelings, but also accept the responsibility of the part they play. That, that's a huge leap for a lot of women, a huge leap. But you were able to do that. But I, I want the guys to still understand, though, the impact. That this has on a woman. So uh, it's somewhat of a difficult question, but uh, but maybe you can still answer, but what was the toughest thing you battled uh, with doing this season um, in your ex-husband's life? What was the biggest battle you had to deal with after coming to realization to um, dealing with the anger, the betrayal, the hurt and everything, and understand that you played a, a, a role in it, even if it wasn't the major role, but you did play a role in it what was the biggest thing that you battled as he was going through this himself?
2: Uh, self-image for sure. I mean, every, when I, when I had that day of discovery and spent that four hours in the dark, in a very dark place, um, seeing images and things, every thing everything that I saw was so counter to the way my, <laughs> the way my frame is made um, that it just, it wrecked me. It floored me. I've, you know, um, I have always been thin just naturally I mean like literally I suck it down like a hoover and I do not I can I can eat an entire cake and lose you know, I can eat an entire cake and lose 5 pounds and somebody will look at a slice and, and you know and gain 5 like that's just always how I've been and I'm you know I'm active I have a high metabolism so I've always been thin you know my my nickname growing up, you do not no one gets to call me this, but I will share it <laughs> simply because if it brings some healing was olive oil. I hated it I, li- I hated it. you know, I was the president of the IBTC. if you don't oh, know what yeah, that I', is,
0: know. I you what you know. that means yeah.
2: I mean, like you, I mean like that I'm that girl, and so and being a black woman um with a small with a with a thinner frame um without all of the accoutrement, right? It's like, okay. All right. Like, yes, I, I very much felt like I very much felt like he married me for my for my talent, for my ambition, for everything else, but not because he thought I was attractive. Not because I thought I was beautiful, but because um, he saw in me the potential to get all of the desires of our hearts met. But, you know, it, it, it's like that adage, um, which is. Know, kind of very french it's like you know you marry you marry the one that is socially acceptable but you sleep with you know your mysteries is very different kind of thing and that's how much felt that i was like okay you know i am great to meet your mama and to go out to dinner and represent our lives and carry your name in the public way but it's like a lady you know a lady who represents but you got a freak in the bedroom and it looks super different than how i'm showing but and now, so, let um, me interrupt you for just a second, though, because um, I want to be fair
0: to even to him now during your marriage, though. Had he ever affirmed you, told you that you were beautiful, that he found you attractive or sexy or what have you? Did he say those things to you?
2: Yes, but not. Um, so we actually had a conversation about that. And he's like, you're not you were not the typical. Girl. You know, we, even when we got married and we um, it was like, unfortunately. Uh, within the first six months of our marriage, my ex-husband or husband at the time had had an affair. And I gave that, um, and it was an affair with someone he had known in his past. And I was was devastated because once again, she did not look like me. And I said to him in, in that moment, I said, why did you marry me? And everything that he said was affirming to my personality, not necessarily affirming to my physique and makeup. The physique that he was most attracted to was not me. The people that he had, that he was having fantasies of or, or engaging in pornographic acts with looked very different than me and were very much more in line with kind of the, <laughs> this is, this is my type. If I could have had you and her. But what I learned from that process too is even if I looked like that, even if I was, you know, <laughs> even if I was the measurements of Brick House, the truth is it was a deeper issue it was an issue of him not being able to be vulnerable and presence in a intimate physical life is messy. Even if I had, you know, all of the, all of the physical attributes, like at the end of the day, I talk and I talk a lot, you know, and we're going to have clashes and it's, it's not going to be the fantasy where you can just, you know, come and have a, a sexual rendezvous and then walk away without responsibility. You know, that's, that's what I, I had to understand in that process. Like, even if I did look like this ideal that I thought was his ideal, there would have still been issues.
0: You know, and I, and I tell you, son, you could that um what you're doing, is you're shedding light on at least again. I don't know if there'll be women listening to this or if they're going to share this with their wives. Um, but you just you but you bring out a very important point because not the fact that you struggle with your self image, but. For that woman, for them to understand that, that women, it's hard for women to understand that that that's not really the answer. But you just summarized it perfectly that we want, and I'm saying, speaking from a male's point of view of who's been, you know, addicted to porn and looking at porn, is that we want the quote, love, we call it love, and I'm putting that in air quotes, without the responsibility. We don't want to have to deal with the mess, the messiness of relationships because it's part of life. We rather get away from it. And so, again, I applaud you because you you reach to understanding that it's a lot deeper than that, because I've seen a lot of women get stuck right there with the self image and they stay stuck for life in that. But and you had mentioned before about you going to um to recovery groups and therapy, and that kind of thing, which I highly suggest. Um, for women and, and I'll tell you one of the responses and I guess this is not one of the questions I planned, but I would like to hear your response to this. That um when I was going through this with my ex wife and I've talked to other um women about this and other men about this, the wife's typical response was that I don't have the problem, you have the problem. Why do I need to go into recovery? Why do I
2: need because to go Because if that, they have a problem, it? you have a problem. We have a problem. You know, it's- like that whole adage, and I kind of hate it because it's not really true. But it's like, you know, if Mama ain't happy, ain't none of us happy. Well, you know, that, <laughs> but the truth is, it's like, if you know, if you have a problem, then I have a problem because we're in union together. We're in this relationship, and so while the way I handle that problem, the way I deal with that problem, may not look the same way, but it would be like if you had a spouse who had cancer. You would you wouldn't say, I'm not going to the doctor with you. You want to be at the if your if your spouse had a, a heart issue, you know, you want to talk to you want to find what foods can I cook differently. You know, if diabetes were the case, you know, how can I change your diet? Like we do this together because it's like your issue, your health issue. And and unfortunately when it comes to mental illness and mental health. We we take an approach of like that's on you that's over there but the truth is uh, on this side of the fall the spill over and the messy and the wreckage like the shrapnel is large like the, the blast area is huge and it affects we didn't you know we personally chose not to have children but for those individuals who have children I mean it it, it wrecks you know wives and 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 daughters and sons and it really does affect so it is a It is necessary that while the person who may be struggling with the addiction um, has their own road to walk, there definitely needs to be healing and conversation and counseling and therapy around the entire family unit because everyone is affected. And it is probably the biggest lie I believe that we've bought, especially. In America, especially in the the 20th century, 21st century America, is this whole idea that, you know, as an adult, what I do doesn't affect other people. And, um, you know, I'm a grown, responsible adult, and what I do doesn't, it shouldn't affect and it doesn't affect other people. It's a lie. It's a lie we buy because it's convenient and it feels good for us to stay in whatever sin or dysfunction or habit that we're in. I own it. You own it. We all have owned it at one point and convinced ourselves this doesn't affect anybody else the truth is the inconvenience very sad very real truth is it really does the blast area is large and it does affect everyone who's in your um definitely in your immediate family circle
0: Now, Sanyika, now you obviously went through recovery and you dealt with the issue, which I highly um, applaud you for because a lot, and I I love the way you put it that way. That, yeah, if, if somebody you love had cancer, you would go to the doctor with them. You wouldn't say that's your problem. I never looked at it in that context, but that's a great way of, of painting a picture. But did your ex-husband go through recovery while you were doing this yourself? Did he go with you? Did you guys go together? Did he go separately? What did? How did he respond to when you pretty much confronted him about this?
2: Um, unfortunately, he did not um, own an addiction. It was very much like you know, we our business took over our lives. We weren't getting our needs met. Um, I loved you enough not to go outside of the marriage. This was my, this was my response. Um, but this, this is not an addiction. And I kind of sat with that for a moment, for several weeks, and just tried to process that. And actually, you were, you were a catalyst in helping me to ask some pointed questions to understand and know how am I going to deal with this? Because here's the, here's the challenge with the journey of walking through the recovery process of, of an addiction is that um, there there is a grief cycle that happens, just like a grief cycle that would happen if you lost um, a physical person or if you lost something that was very close to and important to you. And usually that that grief cycle starts with some sort of denial. Um, and then after denial then there has to be the acceptance and then the, the grieving. So as I'm going through this process of, you know, the death essentially of of a relationship, of a marriage, of a this is no longer going to be what it's going to be, I had to really hear what he's saying. And so here's the thing that I would say to 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 men and to women who are who are in in the grips of of this process is that the gaining the regaining of trust is a long and arduous and hard process. And my therapist explained it like this. She says, you know, it's not that I believe that divorce is the right solution or the right answer to adultery or to um, or, or, or even a pornography addiction, because I think that there's there's still there's there's still debate about is pornography adultery or is it not? I personally believe that it is um, well, and I Jesus and I, says that it is. <laughs> and and I and and I dealt with a physical, you know, adultery at the beginning of the marriage as well. Um is that if we can't agree on a common language and a common definition of a problem, then we have a problem. You know, the pro- and the pro- so it's like until and unless we can acknowledge and identify that this is a problem, And then we can say, what is the solution to this problem? But she said to me um, around the trust issue and the regaining of trust, she said the problem and the reason that often divorce is chosen in situations where trust is betrayed is that the person who has betrayed the trust wants to regain the trust much quicker than the person who has been betrayed can often allow that trust to be reestablished. And so it seems as if, well, I'm doing everything right. I'm, you know, I'm being attentive, and we're talking more, and we're going to the movies, and going out to dinner, and I'm planning vacation, I'm doing all the things you said you want. And it's like, that's just the price of admission, bruh. Like, Like, you know, that's like, we just got in the door. Like, we ain't even even in the door, we in the parking lot. That's like valet parking. And so it's not that it's impossible but it's an under, it's a, it's a, that's why bringing someone into a third party, into a counselor, a pastor, a spiritual director, someone who could help both walk through as a unit. And then I believe individual support for each person is necessary. Um, so because we couldn't define the problem in the same way, we were at an impasse. We were, you no, know, there was nowhere to go. He didn't see it.
0: But let, let me interrupt you for a second. I apologize for it. But when, so when you, you know, because I, I like the way you just put that, if you don't agree on the problem, then you really have a problem. And when you confronted him about it, he didn't want to acknowledge it. He didn't want to own it. He didn't want to take responsibility. And and a lot of men have walked that path. I know my initial reaction was not to accept responsibility. I don't have a problem. You have a problem with my, with this. This is not a problem. This is a man thing, kind of thing. And and being in denial about it, but from our perspective, there are men who are walking that path and they won't accept responsibility because this is not an addiction. This is not a problem. I'm just a man. I'm just being masculine and, and everybody's doing it or, you know, whatever the excuse may
2: be. How did that make you feel when he didn't own it? Sad. Very sad. Very sad. Um, very sad because I, I was very clear um that a choice needed to be made, that. This could this could not be a consistent part of your life, and and I also be a consistent part of your life. Um, so I was very sad. That was probably the first emotion, and the emotion that stayed the longest, just a sadness that um, that you would see that even if initially you couldn't see it as an addiction, but that you couldn't respect and honor the time that we had put into whatever this. You know, it was a marriage, (laughs) you know, however you just choose to define it. it, We were legally, you know, (laughs) binded and obligated to be in each other's life and to the, you know, till death us part, the good, the bad, the ugly, the richer, the poor. And so that you would um, dismiss my feelings and that you would dismiss how I'm perceiving and how I'm being affected by. Again, going back to that concept, that thought that, you know, it, it's not a big deal. It doesn't hurt anybody. Yeah, it's deeply hurtful to me as a woman, as a wife, as a daughter, you know, it's, it's deeply hurtful to me.
0: You know, and Sonia, as I'm hearing you say this and I'm and I, I like hearing this from a woman's point of view, because I don't think we as men look at it from this point. And you correct me if I'm wrong. Um, what I'm hearing you say is, in a sense, it, when we don't own it and we think, OK, she's just being emotional. She's being um, overly sensitive about this thing that gives me, quote, pleasure. And I don't think it's harming anybody. But she's expressing when we're when you're expressing that to us and we dismiss it in a sense, even though we don't say it explicitly. Are you saying that what we're saying is that we want it more than we want you?
2: Absolutely. Not only do you want it more than you want me, but uh, what was particularly painful and hurtful, um, I was part of and and can still am in in some smaller ways than I was during the time, part of a a, a ministry that uh, an outreach to young girls and women. And my thing is the truth is what the person who's watching pornography doesn't recognize or wants to believe is that these women choose to do it. And, you know, they're adults. A, unfortunately, some of the women that, that I physically saw, I could clearly tell were not 18. And, you know, having nieces and friends and people in my life who were what I would assume were the age of these individuals. I'm like, that to me is so deeply wounding and hurtful to me that you can disconnect in a way from the human element of this is someone's daughter this is someone's sister that's very deeply wounding because just like marijuana is a gateway drug to larger drugs, pornography tends to be a gateway to, uh, you know, we would not have the level of sex trafficking and prostitution that we have in this country, in this world, unfortunately, if this were not a big deal, if it was, it was not hurting anybody or if the women, um, were doing this by choice. You know, I didn't grow up. Generally, you know, and you have a daughter. Um, most of the people listening perhaps have daughters or cousins or nieces or someone. And you ask, you know, you ask younger people, what do you want to be when you grow up? I've never met a young woman who says, I want to be, I think I want to be a stripper that turns into like a porn star. Like, it just it just doesn't happen. You know, choices and life happens. But unfortunately, from working with ministries and working with individuals who who have, had this as part of their past. Um, molestation was was part of their story and some form of being disempowered at an early age and this, this, this using their body as a way to um, bring pleasure. And I use that in air quotes because I don't believe that there's anything truly pleasurable about something that you have to hide or do in the dark. Um, there is always a bit of something that's a little tainted with that. Um, so that was also that was also deeply wounding to me having the conversation and having part of my life story and part of my mission and ministry be around empowering young women to see that young women were being disempowered and viewed as simply objects of sexual satisfaction and not that they had a story that they were lives that they were people that they you know that outside of this video outside of this snapshot in time Where do they eat? Where do they go? What makes them laugh? What makes them cry? They're individual human beings. And you take the dignity from an individual when you see them as just an object.
0: You know, and as you you say this and it should register with us as men on not only a a logical level, because that's what you're you're trying to appeal to the the logic of a man. Think about it. You want your daughter to be a stripper or uh, a porn star or a prostitute. Um, but yet if we don't see anything wrong with that, then that's, that says a lot about us, but that's even on a logical standpoint, we should get that. But even at a spiritual and emotional, we should get it, but we don't. And it just tells you how, how deep this problem is and how this, how the enemy can use, um, things that God designed for good, which was sex within marriage and to be able to manipulate and exploit it. For evil. And as you even share this stuff with me, you know, my heart breaks. I'm talking about for myself personally, because it seems like even after years now, over a decade removed, I, I keep thinking, I can't believe I caused that much damage. I can't believe, where was my, you know, what was I thinking kind of thing? And the truth of the matter is, I wasn't thinking. Or like they said, I was thinking with the wrong head, you know, So, but I wasn't thinking I wasn't, I didn't have my mind on spiritual things. I had my mind on earthly, fleshly things. And as you bring up all these points, I'm hoping that this does register with us. And so even as we, you know, I'm not even possibly into all the questions I want and, you know, I'm not going to probably get to our, quote, man up questions, the women version of it. But I do feel compelled to keep asking you more questions because I, I do think you're tapping into a nerve and getting us to remove the scales from our eyes so we can see this a lot more clearly. Um, but here's a question um, that I want for you to a- ask you personally. Um, what do you think that your ex-husband's battle with porn did to you personally as a woman? And I'm talking about emotionally, spiritually, even physically because I really want us to get a grasp of the damage that we're causing, and even though it be it's going to be hard for me to hear it from you, I need to hear this, and we need to hear this as men. What is it really um, doing to you? Our battle with this.
2: It made um, it made me feel like I couldn't be safe. It made with I couldn't entrust my heart to to him to any other man. I couldn't be safe. I am. Um, I think kind of the way I'm wired is and and where I knew that unfortunately this um this biblical out I had to choose to take it where the 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 fork in the road in the in the, the moment of decision came for me was one with this this we couldn't define the problem in the same way, but the other thing was this i am not if you were to tell me that you were going to a meeting and you were supposed to be at the meeting at 10 o'clock and you got to the meeting at 10 30 and you showed up and your clothes were disheveled and you, you know, you looked like you had just been in the throes of emotion. <laughs> and, but, and you walked in and you said, you are never going to believe what happened. I ran into this woman and she needed my help. And then, you know, like, I went to help her and then she fell over on me and that's how, how I got the, you know, and it's not that I'm naive. The truth is it's just like, I don't have time in my life, in my world to like make up stories, you know? So if you told me this fanciful story, even if it seemed a little bit outlandish because you were part of my tribe, my group, my trusted, you know, my circle, right? I'd be like, oh dang, that's crazy, but okay. So I didn't have the, I don't have, I'm not wired to be that girl that is going to filter. You need a filter on your computer and I need to check your phone and, and I need to know your password. Like I'm not that girl. Like if I need to trust that you are in integrity at all times and for me integrity means doing the right thing when no one is watching. I can't watch your back. I can't check your your your, your web history log. I can't be looking at your phone, finding what apps you, you got, or you don't got. So understanding that about me and understanding you know, that we couldn't get to to, to the same place on the same problem. It's like I can't trust you. And I can't trust you without having checks and balances in place and filters and stuff that I have to do. And oh my goodness that I forgot to look at the phone today or I forgot to look at your web blog. Like I can't be that girl. I can't that's it's it's just it's too it's too cumbersome for me. And so that the the, the, the lack of trust was huge this idea that like who I thought you were, I mean, I go away on business trips for, you know, five, seven, sometimes 10 days at a time. And our joke used to be, you know, because I'm chatty, because I'm personable, and perhaps by the world's standards, I'm attractive. I, you know, I'd go and I'd meet people and they'd be like, you know, I'd get the, the occasional suggestion. And I'm like, look, let me tell you, here's what I know about men. I was like, you guys come in multiple packages. And some of your packages are like bright and shiny. And you got big bows and arms and all this other stuff but underneath there's pretty much a wiring that's consistent white black asian you know whatever that i don't know how you guys kind of go to the same school and all <laughs> like whether you're like whether you're from hollywood or the hood there's like just some common man stuff that happens right so i'm not while i could be super enamored of your packaging i know that when i unwrap it there's some commonalities there. I already got you at home. Like you're cute and eye candy for days, but like I got you at home. So I'm cool. Like we can have we can have a nice little banter conversation. But trust that you're not gonna get my number or my room number and I'll see you at the conference the next day. And so that's just how I've always been. And so you know, when we first were married and his his friends would be like, Man, you let your wife go here, go there. I was like, Okay, time out. But he was he was and he was secure in the fact that it's like he's like, Man, you know. I trust her. You know, my girl is like, you know, she's that's who that's who I am, and I need that to be who you are. And when that trust is broken, I just don't, I don't have the bandwidth or the energy or even the desire to be checking after you and seeing if are you in integrity. That's huge for me. And so when integrity and trust is broken, it's 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 very difficult to reestablish. Now, especially.
0: I, and I, I hate to interrupt you because we're running short on time. But I got to ask you this um, because I don't think I'm being fair to the men out there who are listening because you bring up an excellent point, which I, unfortunately I know too much about. And because I've heard women, and I've even heard my ex-wife said exactly what you say. And I think you said it better than any woman I've ever heard about the, the amount of effort and the work it takes to regain and rebuild that trust. You mentioned earlier about how. Even when we do acts of things to rebuild the trust, and we're thinking, okay, this should be done now. We should be finished with this by now. You said, no, you just entered the amusement park. You know, you just had the gate. You got a lot of other stuff you got to do. But I'm going to ask you a very, very tough question, but I think is an answer that we need to hear as men. And I don't care if we, even if we go a little bit over time on it because I'm feeling the spirit is leading me to this. Okay, given that, because I can hear, uh, you know, that woman or that wife of that man saying, you know what? This is not what I signed up for. I I'm, I agree with what Sanyika is saying, that I want to be able to trust you like a fool. That's basically what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, I, I feel the exact same way. I, I can be people can tell me anything about Tanya. But my thing is, I I'll be her fool because I trust her that much. Now, when something is broken between that, boy, it takes a lot of work. So here's my tough question to you, Sanyika. Given that all that you just said, could there have been anything that your ex-husband could have done to rebuild that and say, you know what? It is worth now the effort. If I have to run 150 miles per hour now for the next 10 years, this marriage is worth now salvaging. Now, I don't
2: absolutely. know if that's a fair question, absolutely. but I can't totally wait to hear your answer
0: question. to that one. What's yes. your answer to that? Uh
2: thank you for asking that because absolutely, and here's what I said, here's what I said to him. I don't want you ever, if I ever hear from any of our mutual friends or anywhere on the planet that you have said that your wife left you because we were broke, because we filed bankruptcy, because we filed foreclosure, because of any other reason other than this. <laughs> You better you better hope that that God opens the ground and puts you in it at that moment because that is not true. I am a ride or die chick and I absolutely want to go to battle for this marriage. But I can't fight for you if you're not willing to fight. I remember I had a personal trainer who used to say, I can do everything for you, but I can't do your push ups for you. Like you gotta do your own push ups. And so the truth is it's like I am ready to get in the ring and go through whatever unforeseeable because I don't even know what the landscape Of what it looks like for us to walk down this journey of togetherness and of repairing and rebuilding. But what I know for sure is our motto used to be "Till death do us part and don't make me kill you." (laughs) Don't make me kill you. I love that. (laughs) You know. So like, here's the thing. Like, I'm. I want to do this, and I and I and I grappled with it, and I questioned it, and I. um, You and I even had the conversation about. It's like I get that I have an out, but. Just because I have an out doesn't mean that that's the best answer. Because here's the thing, you know, walking away um, has its own challenges as well. It is not, you know, you don't just get to walk away and leave behind. There's a lot of damage. There's a lot of wreckage. Just as hard, and I I can't say that it's just as hard as remaining in the marriage because I did, because we were not able to remain in the marriage um, in large part to the choices that he made and unfortunately not being able to identify the problem which became the problem. But it had we been able to acknowledge and identify this is a problem. And it's not just my problem. It's our problem and it's the problem of our marriage. And our marriage is worth the work. Our marriage is worth the fight. And I want to fight. Absolutely. I yeah. And it probably wouldn't have been pretty and it would have been hard and there would have been moments that I want to have given up. But Thank God for and that's why you need that's why you need community and you need safe people to be with because without it, it's very easy to start to, you know, have the brave heart, you know, speech and run into battle. But like as soon as you know, as soon as you see the other team charging at you, it's like, oh, you know, maybe I want to fall down right here. So, you know, I we've walked we in our marriage walked through some hard things um, that were not pleasant or pretty. Um, but we walk through them together. And so that was, that was an appeal I attempted to make. Let's do this. Let's try to make this work. Um, the other unfortunate truth was not only could we not define the problem, um, in the same way, but he could not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, could not submit in that way. And so having an, an individual who was a non Christian, who could not accept or define the problem in the same way, um, was unfortunately um, the ingredients for or the catalyst for, for ending. But even that, even him not being a believer at the time, I believe that God desires and calls each of our hearts and wants to bring us to him. And and, and that's my heart's cry for him uh, in the future. And that's God's heart's cry for him. So whether I wanted him to be a Christian or not, God ultimately wants him to be that way. But um, those two things were uh, were insurmountable, unfortunately. And Sonia, thank you so
0: much for um, answering that question. And I love you're you're an excellent communicator. I've told you that before, and not just the, fa- the sense that you can just say you know what you want to say, but it's how you're able to say it in a way that people can get it and understand. I tell people communication doesn't take place until it's actually understood, and it is clear to to me. And you, you're answering that question is that if he's not willing to fight, how can you? If he's not willing to fight for your marriage, how can you? And so for the men out there, oh, Holy Spirit, help them. Help us understand that when we think it's hopeless and that there is no use, at least from our point of view, we have to be willing to show you and show her, show our wives that we're willing to fight. Doesn't necessarily mean she's going to get it like you did, Sanyika, but we have to let her know that we're willing to fight and we have to agree on what the problem is. So the way you articulated that and the way you explained it, I think is going to bless a lot of people. And Sonia, we, I can't believe we've run to the end of the show. And I mean, you
2: definitely have to be back on the show again. Yeah. I'd be happy to, to just, uh, to show up in, in whatever level of support that, um, that I can, because it's important, you know, um, being connected to a ministry that, supported and helped and blessed and empowered girls and young women. One of the things that we've always said was, here's the deal. We cannot work towards the empowerment and the, the, the betterment of the esteem and the blessing of girls and women without bringing in the conversation of men. I love the message of the ministry of the mantle that God has called you to carry with Real Men Connect, because it's important not just to have strong and, and, and grounded and emotionally sound women. Um, but it is equally necessary because at the end of the day, no matter how vibrant our personalities or how big our mouths are, we want to be led well. I desire that. I super desire to be led well by a man who's emotionally and physically and spiritually sold out, S-O-U-L-E-E, sold out to God first and foremost, and who gets it, who gets that vulnerability, not weakness, and that's um, the tallest that he'll ever be is on his knees. And I think, Joe, that's why you're so tall. Um, that's why your personality is so big, because you recognize that you're never taller than when you're on your knees before God. Who loves you as the beautiful mess that you are, who's not intimidated nor surprised by how you're divinely designed and who absolutely knows when you're hiding in the wine press, even though you're a mighty man of power. So stand strong. Stay in his grip. It's been awesome to be with you guys today. God bless you.
0: Thank you, Sonny. What do I say after that? That's a great way to close out the show. So guys, thank you for listening. Without you guys, we would not even have a show. So thank you for sharing us, especially sharing this episode with those who you know may benefit and be blessed by this. And if you can, please leave us a review in, um, in iTunes that helps us be able to be found in the search engine. And guys, thank you so much. And we'll catch you next week on Real Man Connect Podcast. As always, stay in his grip.
1: Love you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Real Men Connect podcast with Dr. Joe Martin. Real Men Connect isn't just a podcast. It's a mission, ministry, and movement to help good men become the great men God called and created us to be. And the best is yet to come. So if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review in iTunes. It really helps us to build the podcast and to reach, teach, and impact more men, all for the glory of God. And make sure you check out realmenconnect.com to get our free tools and resources to help you go from good man to great man, God's way. Again, that's realmenconnect.com. Thank you for listening. We'll see you in the next episode.